you're in the Bay Area today, it's actually not all that novel to be trained in and or working on some semblance of artificial intelligence technology. Uh, to have been doing so in the 80s and 90s certainly was. Uh, Lorian Pratt, uh, who joins us this week in the Tech Emergence Podcast, got her PhD in computer science from Rutgers. She went to uh, Dartmouth before there uh, for undergrad um, and has been working with neural nets and with various applications of artificial intelligence for many decades. She now does a lot of consulting work with companies large and small here in Mountain View, not too far from me actually. Uh, where she uh, implements these various technologies into, again, companies large and small. We speak with Lorian today, someone with a unique perspective on decades of development and adoption in artificial intelligence, and ask her, where is the traction now today where it wasn't before? Which technologies really seem to have been picking up that weren't prior? And based on that, and based on your experience, and, and her experience actually working with companies, not just seeing the history of AI, um, where do you think it might go in the next five years? Where are more companies and governments and large organizations going to be implementing this stuff in the real world? And she's got an interesting perspective and take on that, having worked in and on uh, so many various companies in the last you know, over 20 years in the domain of artificial intelligence. So hopefully you all enjoy this episode with Lorian Pratt. So Lorian, you've been in the field of working in neural nets, um, I, I joke with some of our previous guests as well, since before it was cool, so to speak, um, and, and you've seen sort of the trajectories of AI and machine learning make their way into industry and government. Um, where do you see artificial intelligence and machine learning gaining that traction today? Where do you really see it kind of sinking in and uh, governments and bigger businesses sort of grabbing hold of these technologies? Yeah, it's interesting. There's been a lot of press around AI. And, and yeah, I've I, I done it since before it was cool, but it was cool about 25 years ago with Japanese uh, fifth generation project and big initiatives here in the United States as well. And then it got uncool and now it's cool again. <laughs> And over the course of those many years, um, you know, we have seen a shift in who's using AI and, and neural nets and machine learning. Um, in my consulting work today, uh, you know, we, we execute probably two or three dozen uh, contracts in a year. Um, and I guess what I'm seeing mostly is vision and marketing. So, you know, as you know, there's been a lot of press around Google's um, deep mind and there's been those inception videos that, that have gotten a lot of a lot of attention. Yeah. And uh, and so that and, and there's been some real breakthrough results in machine vision just in the last 18 to 24 months yeah. where the performance is, has just been been skyrocketing in terms of you know, kind of walking along a video and labeling what you're seeing in the video. Wow. And um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, so it's, it's really exciting. Um, and, and so there's all these new machine vision opportunities out there for, for your listeners. If they're entrepreneurs um, from everything from manufacturing to counterfeit recognition, um, some of my customers are using LIDAR signals, like that little thing on top of the Google self-driving car, huh. um, but beyond self-driving, you know, to recognize um, buildings that they're looking at and, and do some energy audit stuff. A company called ESIS I worked with is, is doing work there. Um, so we're seeing a, an incredible explosion of machine vision opportunities in many, many um, domains. And then I guess the other one um, has always been marketing. I mean, 10 years ago, we didn't say machine learning. We said analytics, right? Yeah. <laughs> and analytics, you know, was sort of the same. It was kind of the word people used because machine learning was out of favor. Um, but it, it really means something different today. It means, 
generally a, a marketing focus on, on getting data um, out of systems, as, as you know from your, from your email work. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of revenue potential. If you can identify a sub-segment that's particularly interested in your product by looking at your web logs going back um, many, many years, um, you can pick out those really difficult for humans to detect signals. You know, maybe yeah. maybe women in Utah over age 30 who clicked <laughs> on these three pages are 10 times more likely to buy a particular product um, than than you know men in, in Texas, right? Yeah. And so you can you can do machine learning to analyze that marketing data and to focus in very tightly on on uh, on what uh, what people will want to buy. Of course, Amazon is is the most well known um, recommender system For like sure. that. But I'm seeing a real explosion of people reaching out to me and saying, "Well, I've got all this log data, and um, we have this. We've heard about machine learning it being really powerful. How can we use it?" And I'll stand up a project and usually can get it going in, in a few days um, to get to get going with their data. We massage the data, run it through a neural net or a decision tree, or uh, we have a number of algorithms we use, and, and we're able to identify those subsegments or or do whatever other uh, learning tasks that they might need. Huh, so, so that's that's what I'm seeing most frequently right now today. But it. I can also speak to future stuff as well. No, and, and we will. I'd really like to. I want to delve a little yeah. bit farther into this. So you're you're we're speaking about vision, and and uh, we've been fortunate enough to have some pretty talented um, computer vision folks on the program. That's been uh-huh. uh, en- enlightening for me, folks at uh, Georgia Tech and Duke and all over the place who I've, I've been able to. To interview in that world, I'm curious. You know, it almost seems to me so the marketing and the analytics, the recommender systems. I've I've certainly heard that one on a number of occasions. Vision, though, I actually wasn't as familiar that there were as many businesses implementing systems for vision. You mentioned energy audits and some other examples there. Um, what what are what are some you know without having to name companies? Um, what what are some examples of vision projects that people come to you or other boutique, uh, very talented consulting folks, uh, with that, that are kind of vision problems or, or are the, are the experts really the ones suggesting them or, or people really out there desirous of vision because they see what Facebook and Google are doing much more the latter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how well it works for, for an expert to say, Hey, you should use my technology. That never works. <laughs> you gotta have people who feel that there's an opportunity and, and something that will drive their revenues. So, boy, there's so many categories. Um, one would be um, manufacturing. So you've got products coming along a line and you, you point a camera at them and the computer um, detects the ones that have defects and then those automatically get routed to a different place, right? Um, so that's, that's something I'm seeing a lot of explosion in. So like fruit, for instance, you might want to classify your apples into those that should be on the shelf versus those that should go into some pie mix because they've got a bruise on them or something. Yep. So that's a, a really canonical example. Medical um, has been using machine learning um, and neural nets for many years. In fact, back in the day when it was cool in the in the 80s and 90s, um, neural nets were used for uh, cancer detection. Yeah. So what's what's pretty neat there is is you take a picture of somebody's tissues and and uh, the neural net looks at it and if it thinks there's a chance there might be cancer there, it hands it off to a person. And so there's this partnership between the computer and the person. And so they say that um, finding cancer um, in, um, I think it was pap smear diagnosis was the first one. It's like finding a typo in the Encyclopedia Britannica. Ooh. So it's like this really difficult task. And so what the computer does is it doesn't find the typo, but it finds the 10 pages that include the typo. 
So instead of looking through the whole encyclopedia, the human only looks, needs to look at those 10 pages. It. Okay. it rules out the ones that are absolutely positive, have no lesion in them. And, um, you know, so we've been doing machine vision in, in medical for decades. But um, as it turns out, there's a lot of places where it hasn't been used, where it could be used for cancer diagnosis. There's a new one that people are talking about, um, uh, a consumer app. So, so here's a business opportunity for your listeners. Build a <laughs> consumer app where people can take a picture of a skin lesion and the computer will say, um, what disease that is? Is, is, it, is it cancerous or not? Right. Or, or what dermatological problem? Yeah. That's a really neat opportunity that, that is just right for someone to take deep learning, um, which you can get for free now from a bunch of different places. Yeah. Get a bunch of images, uh, do some pre-processing and, and then uh, you can build an application that does that. Um, so, you know, gosh, I could go on and on. Yeah. Okay. So those are some good ones for vision. Anytime you need to look at images and know what they are. Yeah. No. Okay. Interesting. Well, you know, it's, it's curious. I was just speaking with another, um, uh, PhD fella and, and AI, uh, consultant who's worked with a bunch of bigger companies like eBay, just, just in one of our most recent interviews. And, and it reminded me of when I speak with entrepreneurs and they talk about how, um, a demo is really what sells. And it's very curious to hear you reiterate the same point that in industry, people are coming to folks like yourself who they know have the expertise and they're saying, hey, I know these big cool companies do X. Man, it's so darn cool. I want to do something like that. And and that that's where the sale is sort of made. It's very curious that that's the way it is because until it's until it's their own revelation, people really aren't sold, are they? And And, and now I suppose with all these examples of AI dancing in front of them, now they all want to make it happen. It's it's like when Roger Bannister ran the you know the four minute mile, or or when when uh, the Wright brothers went to Europe, and everybody was like, yeah, there's airplanes. What those guys aren't special. We can make airplanes. You know, it's everybody and their mother now it has has it on their radar at least. Before it was in the '80s, as you would remember far better than I would. I don't remember most of the '80s. You know, being not not there physically. Uh, is that um, you know, folks probably. Uh, you know, the, you 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 couldn't just talk about computer vision and have a really big segment of just the general public or general business educated folk uh, nod their head and and hold kind of a, a riffing level conversation with you. But now everybody sees their brother getting tagged automatically on Facebook and they read about it on TechCrunch and they know it's happening. So it sounds like that's where the awareness is getting ticked on. Yeah, you know, Dan, it's, it's probably the biggest myth of innovation that it's all about the idea or the technology. The technology I'm using, vast majority of it was available 20 or 30 years ago. But what was missing was what you call social proofing, um, was um, a wide range of big name brands that were using it. And nobody wanted to evaluate this new technology yeah. for themselves. It was perceived as too risky. And so now they just take the shortcut. Well, if Google and Facebook and everybody else is doing it, so it must funny. have value. And and so everybody believes if you get the technology out there and it's got value, it'll come. Actually, it's it's a lot more complex than that. It's it's about changing communities of practice. And Peter Dennett and, and other innovation experts have analyzed how entrepreneurs are successful. It turns out we make this mistake. We think it's about the idea. But it's much more about thing, psychological things like social proofing. And, and so you're absolutely right. Um, I guess the other thing to say is the smaller companies, um, this technology is now accessible yep. to them. Yep. My laptop, you can read about on my blog, runs 148 gigaflops. And that's like 
you know, it's it's seventy times faster than the fastest cray. I mean, how crazy yeah, you, is you, that? You weren't doing that in the eighties for sure. You were not, and so we've got you know what what Andrew Ng calls rocket fuel on our laptops, and then new algorithms which which also help rocket engines. Um, most importantly, deep learning uh, that that make this super powered computing even more powerful. So Indeed. there's a, a incredible opportunity for small businesses that have lots of data. Envision yeah, um, or, or these other areas. This whole idea of communities of practice, actually, that's that's quite fascinating. But yet, yeah, yeah, it, it is yeah. it is interesting to note, you know, just well, and and, and of course, um, to my best knowledge, and speaking with with folks like uh, Nils Nilsson and, and people that were in AI, you know, in in the very early days, um, sort yeah. of neural nets themselves went in and out of favor, even within artificial intelligence, you know. And so there were times <laughs> where maybe people were kind of giving up on it. Very interesting when things loop back around. It's like fashion in some way, but hopefully, yeah. uh, hopefully bell bottoms are in for good now, I guess. Um, so, yeah. so with that being said, Lauren, I know you, you, um, being in this field for as long as you have, um, and, 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 you know, being involved in so many projects, in addition to seeing where the traction is today, where the attention, the social proof, as you so aptly put it, um, and, and the business attention initi- initiatives are today, in the next five or ten years, where do you see more big companies and governances sort of moving in terms of implementing and applying artificial intelligence, and why? Well, near term, you're going to see a lot of text. You're going to see people extracting data from PDF documents in a way that they haven't done before. Companies like Mesitis and, and a new emerging company called Kindy are going to, to give some very exciting uh, technology there. Um, because we have a lot of unstructured text documents. And, of course, that's where Watson's positioning around um, in in, in many regards. And so in the very near term this year, I think I'm bidding on four text projects and one, two text projects in the last three weeks, right? Everybody wants regular expression parsing and PDF OCR. That's really hot right now. So if you're an up-and-coming neural net consultant, you position yourself around text, you'll get lots of work right now. (laughs) So that's Um, what the intention is. Okay, got it. In the longer term, there's a nascent uh, thing, and, and I like how you call your, your company Tech Emergence. We're seeing emergence happening in Silicon Valley around the next generation of AI. And if I could speak to that, it's very, very exciting. Yeah, please do. You know, I, I think we always had this, this idea in the back of our minds that AI would solve the great problems of the world, you know, that maybe it would go beyond Facebook, um, you know, face recognition. And Jan LeCun at Facebook is one of the leaders in the field and, sure. and it does amazing, amazing work. And I think we always thought it would go beyond marketing, you know, effectively yellow pages, which is what Google is. And there's some folks who've been around many years in Silicon Valley who are, who are saying, you know, we've got these building blocks. We've got these great neural nets. We've got terrific machine learning. It's time to put those building blocks together into something that's more um, able to solve some of what we call the wicked problems of the world, climate, poverty, income inequality. Um, and as of this year, uh, we're seeing just the beginnings of some developments where we're not just having a single machine learning system, you know, take an image, where's the face? <laughs> take mm-hmm. a, a web log, where's the subsegment? Those, those one, one link things they're getting linked up into multi-link things, into models of complex dynamic systems. And our hypothesis, or, or mine um, and, and, and that of a few people I work with um, in a number of companies, it's probably like 10 companies that are now testing this hypothesis that the decision 
is is the most important thing. So Absolute Data out of Alameda, out of Alameda in the Bay Area it calls itself a decision engineering company. My company, uh, Quantelia, we're pioneering what we call decision intelligence. And the idea is that you take this machine learning and you link it up into a complex systems model. And so it doesn't have to be really complex and difficult to understand. You focus that on one decision. You know, what product should we launch? What price should we charge? Where should we donate our money in Africa to help reduce conflict? Um, should we help the police or the legal system? All of these decisions that governments and organizations face can, can really benefit from the AI stack that we've built up in Silicon Valley and elsewhere. And uh, just to kind of finish that vision, yeah. the near term of this, maybe five to 10 years, is turning AI on its head and making it IA, intelligence augmentation, augmentation yeah. right? So the great advances will come in the next few years from having the computers pull the machine learning together, run a simulation of the future with humans looking at that simulation, bringing in their expertise and using this to make these very difficult decisions. Um, and, you know, not just in governments, but I'm also working with great big billion dollar companies to make complex decisions in, in their space as well. Yeah, it's it's fascinating that you bring that up. Well, I, I think probably the longer ball uh, extension of, of intelligence augmentation, if we make it there, will involve uh, what's going on in, in neurotech as well. And I'm of the belief that any uh, technology that starts to crisscross with intelligence is, is pretty pretty relevant, but certainly those that start to crisscross with with consciousness are pretty relevant. There's folks with severe depression getting electrodes run into their brains so that they, they feel a bunch of tangible notches happier on a day-to-day -day basis than they would otherwise. Um, and, and, you know, rats getting their hippocampi replaced. I, I think that intelligence yeah. augmentation is a pretty wild, pretty wild future in the longer ball. It's, it's wild. And, but even if we don't want to go that far, simply moving from the text part of our brain to the visual, spatial and motor cortex, even if we're not, don't have a computer plugged into our head, if we simply interact through computers in an interactive visual way, we're so much smarter. Oh, and I mean, astronomically, I mean, imagine, I, imagine if I threw a ball at you, uh, Dan, right now, and you caught it. Okay, and we probably would if I gave you some oh, warning. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. And and now imagine what you just did. You calculated the parabola of the ball, the trajectory of your hand, wrist, and elbow and shoulder. You did really sophisticated math, right? When you yeah. caught that ball. So what if we, instead of feeding it through Broca's area, which is this tiny little piece of alpha software above your left ear, which is what handles visual, uh, speech and text processing, let's imagine we shift everything to the visual spatial cortex. And gamers know this, right? Yep. No gamer wants to use a full text-based adventure interface, much as I love the twisty little passages, right? <laughs> um, we want to live in these rich immersive visual spatial places, even if we don't have them plugged into our brain. And that's going to be core to this next generation of AI to have machine learning links, causal links, driving those simulations so that people can see if I make this decision today, how will it play out tomorrow in yeah. my country, in my company, in my life? And, and uh, man, I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, as you just mentioned, shifting from text to, to vision, I mean, I I'm I'm quite excited to see what gets us past the QWERTY keyboard. Uh, to be honest with you, just because I, I just think it's in so many ways, it's just it's 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 such a quill equivalent. I'm just really 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 <laughs> eager to sort of just get beyond it and get beyond physical screens. You know, having VR where you know have infinite applications 
uh, with 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 uh, much more intuitive ways of interacting with and collaborating with all of them at once. And I think computing sort of stepping up to hopefully getting us closer there. And there's a lot of people trying to crack these nuts. But you, you bring up a, an interesting point around. And I, I was just reading um, uh, a, a review of a Gartner's last um, IT Expo where they mentioned something to the lines of, and I didn't see the research, but uh, 3 million people by 2018 will be managed by a robo-boss and 20% of business content by 2018 will be written by machines or something along those lines. I know you mentioned text is hot and you also spoke to that longer term, sort of the decision being the important thing, being able to weigh the evidence, know the desired outcome, maybe present the options and really help to facilitate that decision on a much deeper level than you know, a machine that can just, you know, parse out a segment from your, you know, your email list or, or just play chess really well. Um, There's such a, such a broad intelligence. And and there was a fellow at MIT um, who, uh, who, for whatever reason, his name escaped me. Great freaking interview here. And man, go figure, huh? Um, But uh, who also mentioned that he he was of the belief that sort of the farther reaches and extents of, of broader AI, more general AI, if you will, he was of the belief that that would find its that would that would the, really the origin of that um, would be in in the in the aiding of running large technology companies that have the budget and the technological acumen to develop those decision support processes. But it sounds as though you're of the belief that uh, governments will will and maybe are, especially in the longer term, waking up to that same possibility. Yeah, and I think one of the mistakes we can make is talking too much about fully autonomous AI. I mean, we're many years from trusting a computer to make, you know, policy decisions that affect human lives. It's just not going to happen. We don't see it in medicine. We're not going to see it in government. But that being said, um, just like the Apollo astronauts used a simulator to help them work through all the disaster scenarios in advance, and just like a, I wouldn't want to f- fly in a plane if my pilot hadn't, you know, had simulator training where he'd crashed a bunch of planes and yeah. learned how to recover. That same simulator assistance to the experts where you can simulate the business. If I make this decision, charge this price, acquire this company, launch to this market, yeah. you know, create this public policy. Let's simulate, given what AI tells us about these causal links, um, that is going to be really, really important in the next few years. And so let's not get too kind of enamored with the fully autonomous robot who takes over our lives. We're not going to trust them for a very long time. And if we do, it's going to be, you know, I don't have a self-driving plane um, and I'm never going to fly in a self-driving plane. But I do have a pilot who's been trained with a simulator. And that's going to be the use case we're going to see for the foreseeable future. Interesting. Yeah. And, And I know that there's some folks that are more and some folks who are less concerned around sort of the, uh, you know, the, the, the dangers of artificial intelligence. But I, it seems yeah. rather safe to say that in the near term, I mean, no one's no one's going to boot the president out and, and put put a supercomputer in place and just start asking questions. I think there will mm-hmm. be a, a pretty pretty big shift towards the kind of symbiosis that you're articulating here. Um, mm-hmm. Lastly, Lorian, just to be able to, to glean a little bit of your insight here as a final question, um, being mm-hmm. wary of our time, um, you know, you're, you're out here seeing businesses make decisions around we can assume relatively expensive initiatives around machine vision, around uh, Mm -hmm. mining information from text and predictive analytics. Um, When, when, when folks are weighing these options, it seems to me as though the environment, the ecosystem, if you will, of, of machine learning 
there's not as many big, big, big players as they are, there are in, let's say, marketing automation or in, let's say, CRM. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of boutique stuff. It's a lot of maybe their own PhDs that they're hiring out of Waterloo and uh, Stanford and whatnot. Um, yep. it, it, it's, 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 and then it's maybe IBM. You know, so, so how are people, being as there isn't really a great vendor comparison out there, how are CEOs and folks in, in important positions in governance making decisions around such a niche, boutique, tailored kind of technology? How, how are they making that call without a real lay of the land? Um, I think mostly they're trusting uh, experienced practitioners who've been doing it for many years. And so you're absolutely correct. The model is um, that they'll either have their own in-house PhDs, uh, that's the most common, but smaller companies, of course, can't afford their own in-house PhDs. Um, and so they'll, you know, I work with Experify out of the Harvard Innovation Lab, so they'll reach out to, to Harvard and say, you know, where are the great PhDs that help us, and, and then we'll come in and, and we'll assist them. Um, you know, the big surprise here. Is, is that the, the tools and technologies um, really aren't that hard relative to the value. So in, in a few weeks of work, we can build you know, a, a learning system that has many millions of dollars worth of value. And uh, that's pretty exciting. So, you know, and, 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 and a lot of the work is, is really kind of grunt work of, of managing data. And, Cleaning you know, data, good, right. Good old-fashioned roll-up-your-sleeve software. Yep, 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 yep. So, so they'll, you know, they'll reach out to you know, folks like our partners Cognizant or, or you know, another traditional uh, you know, software development company or their own internal IT shop for the vast majority of the work. Interesting. Okay, so it's, it's really – I mean there's no um, – you know, we don't have a Gartner report for this stuff. So it's, it's sort of, hey, I know and like these guys. Hey, my friend is also a CEO. He worked with them. He doesn't hate them. They had something that was useful. I guess that's better than, you know, it sounds like it's either figure out, sniff around to see if you can find social proof of someone who knows their stuff and maybe it's gotten results or just field a lot of pitches by people with a ton of letters after their name and then kind of make your call after that. Yeah, and I'd really suggest again my um, my Harvard Innovation Lab partners, Experify.com. Experify. They have amassed a, a critical mass of of really senior experts and uh, in many many um, domains in, in in this space and in machine learning and neural networks and AI. I and think, you, I think you, I've seen they will work website. with you. You put yeah. out your job description, and you'll get you'll get twenty very high qualified bids in two days, and then it's just fun to the, interview and decide who you cool. want to work with. It's so. it's um. Pardon me if I'm mistaken. I I thought it was some uh, some uh, folks from India originally who I think have that rock and roll. If I'm not mistaken, I, I thought I saw like a female CEO yeah, or C level person. Jot, yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if she's from India, but she has that. Uh, uh, her name is Sarab Jot. Got the name. Harpreet uh, Singh um, there. Who are the two co-founders? Yeah, yes. yeah, okay, yeah, okay. So, uh, luckily, I'm familiar with the service that you're referring to. And if you if you like and trust them, then maybe that'd be a useful resource for the folks. I would recommend uh, very in. strongly for anyone cool. looking to get into to to kind of dip their toe in the water who thinks they have a lot of data and they suspect that they can get value out of it. Got it. And that, you know, I've heard that theme as a closing note. I've heard that theme so many times, Lauren. You know, um, companies making enough money to have budget, smart enough people to know maybe where opportunity might lie. So much data, don't know what to do with it. Geez, hey, smart folks, can you do something about this? It seems like that's the origin of so many of these boutique projects, huh? It is. Um, but in closing, let me say there is a big mistake that many of these companies are making. Ah, okay, they're spending let's... too much time on their data. 
they have there's this myth out there that the decision is only as good as the data is and it's completely wrong because mm. it turns out 10% of the data often has 90% of the value we did a project with a company that had 300 consultants and many hundreds of millions of spend for this giant database and we come in and we say you know guys there's only about 100 fields in that database that will drive the vast majority of your business benefit. So um, I know we're close to being out of yeah, time, but yeah, yeah. I, I would recommend folks, you know, take a look at my blog. You can read about all of how to avoid making that mistake. You can get business benefit out of this technology in a matter of weeks. Don't wait until you've got your perfect data all joined up, all migrated and cleansed. That's the biggest mistake I see both small and large companies making. Being, being, being laggards and pro probably assuming that there's any way that you can really prepare yourself for the project anyway. It's probably not, not exactly possible to perfectly prep. And, you know, interesting point that you bring up that I've also heard on a number of occasions. A lot of the time, so much of the value is in such a small portion of where the insight really lies. Lori, and the way you, yeah, the way you figure that out, you start with the decision and work backwards to the data, and that will tell you which data is important. Uh, ho uh, homework point for the folks tuned in on that one as well. Lorian, <laughs> thank you so much for being able to join us here and share your insights on the Tech Emergence Podcast. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives, top researchers, and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in and I'll catch you next week.